Hello, my name is Lori Ellis, and I'm a writer and editor with Pharma Intelligence. Today, I'm here with Andrew Barnhill, head of public policy at Acuvia, to discuss user fee agreements and commitments. I wanted to thank you, Andrew, for joining me today. Sure. Thanks so much for having me today. You are most certainly welcome. And let's get to the first question. What are user fees? Great question. So to answer that, let me go back in time just a little bit. Um, during the 1980s, the drug development process was really accelerating. There was lots of innovation in biopharma. And at that time in the United States, our, our main regulator, the FDA, was taxpayer funded entirely. So there were no other primary sources of funding for that agency to operate. And, you know, as the drug development process really accelerated, it was leading, frankly, because of the FDA's lack of resources to some slow processes with drug approvals. So in collaboration with Congress uh, in 1992, we had the passage of the Prescription Drug User Fee Act, which has become known as PDUFA. This is the first of several pieces of legislation that we will talk about today that make up the User Fee Acts. And essentially what PDUFA did when it first started in 1992 was to add another source of funding to support the regulators at the FDA. And so it would authorize the agency to collect fees from companies, so for manufacturers that produce certain drugs and other biological products. Um, and those fees were collected uh, through, you know, annual processes of collection, but also um, when new, new drug applications were actually put in. And so this provided another source of funding for the FDA, which would then be reauthorized over time. And so from 1992 all the way to the present, every five years, you see a reauthorization of this user fee act. So then what is happening legislatively that has affected the reauthorization process? Great, great question. So let's think about this a little bit. Uh, PDUFA that I mentioned from the beginning has to be what's called reauthorized every five years, meaning, you know, the funding for these user fees doesn't just continue through time. Uh, and so the reauthorization process itself requires Congress to act. It requires a vote in the House and in the Senate. In this case, the current user fees run out at the end of September, so September 30th, 2022. So if you're listening and we're getting close to the end of September, you know that we are in this process where we're reaching sort of a final countdown. After that point, the FDA runs out, essentially, of these additional funds. Now, you know, in many cases, they will have some funds to continue for a while, but essentially it'd have to be reauthorized. Well, this is a big thing, and this is what's considered a must-pass piece of legislation. You know, every year, Congress has certain bills that they actually have to get to pass no matter what. You know, they can't just wait until the next year to pass them because the money runs out. They tend to be a variety of types of funding bills. Well, if you're watching the congressional news right now, though, you're seeing that on top of all of these must-pass bills like the user fee hacks, you have some major pieces of legislation that are being discussed. So right now, as we are recording this podcast, there was a major piece of spending legislation related to climate and drug pricing and a number of other social components that actually just passed both 
both chambers of Congress. And so keep in mind that those major pieces of legislation take a while and they take the attention and the energy and the time resources of congressional staff and members. And so what happens is these must pass bills that might be a little bit less controversial often get pushed later and later in the calendar year. And so that's where we are right now with reauthorization. We um, have approached the summer recess, the August recess, where members of Congress go back home to their districts to do district work with their constituents. And we have not fully passed the um, user fee packages. It's actually sitting in the Senate as we speak right now. Um, keeping in mind that it has actually a version of this has already passed the House. Um, so hopefully that gives you a sense of what's going on in the background. We have, you know, judicial nominations. We have discussions about drug pricing. We have discussions about um, gun control and gun violence, um, many other things. And PADUFA just sort of happens to be sitting here waiting for reauthorization. Okay, so could you then tell us a bit more about the negotiation process? that leads to the passage of the user fee bills. Yeah, yeah. So I mentioned from the outset how these user fees fund the FDA. Um, and, and keep in mind, I've been talking mostly about PADUFA, but in subsequent years after 92, we had some additional user fee acts that passed. Um, and those were for medical devices, PADUFA, um, for biologics, um, and for generics as well. So you'll hear me say the user fee acts or the user fee packages, um, even if we have mostly been talking about the prescription drug one, which was the initial piece of legislation. So with, with that as background, reauthorization is not always a clean slate, meaning there are only a handful of legislative vehicles or pieces of legislation where members of Congress can insert their priorities in and get them passed in a given year, right? I think most people may not know that gone are the days where individual small pieces of legislation, particularly on healthcare issues, can pass in regular order. That just doesn't happen anymore. So essentially what you're looking for if you're a member of Congress or if you're an FDA leader who's hoping to get something in you're trying to put your priorities into one of these legislative packages that may make up the user fee acts. So one of the big things that's been talked about a lot this year has been a, a second iteration of 21st century cures, which was a major legislative package that had elements related to clinical trials in it, for instance. So there was some talk about potentially getting some 21st century cures elements added in to the, the user fee packages. Um, another thing that we pay attention to here at IQVIA is real world evidence. So there were, there were efforts to get real world related policy proposals inside the user fee packages. So what does that mean? That means you're taking sort of FDA related items or priorities and adding them in with the user fees before that piece of legislation passes. But what happens along the way is external stakeholders, such as industry, like, like those of us who are advocating at IQVIA, will go to 
perhaps the House, perhaps the Senate, and try to get those other priorities into the user fee bills. Sometimes they get in, in in the House version and not the Senate version or vice versa, but ultimately you end up with two or more pieces of legislation that have to be somehow combined into one to ultimately pass. And so your question was about negotiation. During this process, you're going to see a lot of back and forth from staff saying, okay, we like this element, but we don't want this element, and trying to get those user fee packages to the point of where they're ready to get passed and sent to the president's desk um, for signature. But along the way, a lot of what's called riders, these additional policies, can fall out. And that's ultimately where we are in the Senate right now. Senator Burr, who has a leadership role over the Senate Help Committee, has really been one of the key senators to marshal user fee acts through the process each time of reauthorization since he's been in the Senate. And he's a true subject matter expert on these issues. But he's been arguing for what he would call a clean PDUFA reauthorization, meaning that a lot of these other riders that other members of Congress are trying to add in should be considered separately, and we should just move forward with um, a, a slimmer version of the user fee acts. Um, but that becomes a point of tension in Congress, because if you think about it, say you're a member uh, of the House and you have a particular item that you really wanted to see in, and you don't know of another legislative vehicle to get it in, well, this is your one opportunity this this year in this Congress. And so a lot of the negotiation process is, hey, we have limited windows. Let's try to do these other things at the same time. I believe that you already briefly mentioned this, but could you explain what the major differences between the Senate and House reauthorizations of the Prescription Drug User Fee Act, or PDUFA, uh, the Generic Drug User Fee Amendments, which is CADUFA, and then the Biosimilar User Fee Act, which I think is PSUFA bills. Yeah, yeah, lots of acronyms, right? So mm -hmm. uh, so one of the things that I, I think a key distinction from, because your question is addressing the House versus Senate differences, um, is the House has really advocated under the current House Democratic leadership um, to pursue a focus on clinical trial diversity. Um, this has been a, a overarching priority for a number of members of Congress, so much so that you've seen anywhere from a half dozen to a dozen, depending on the week, pieces of clinical trial diversity legislation out there, you know, finding ways to um, enhance or increase representation in the people who participate in clinical trials. And what a number of those members in the House have determined is that, okay, we may not have a second round of 21st century cures right now, and we're probably not going to be able to get a standalone package related to diversity in clinical research. So the way to do that is to add some of these provisions into the, the user fee bills. And so that's one of the biggest things that you've seen in the House. And that's not to say that the Senate is entirely disinterested in clinical trial diversity. We see Senators Menendez and Senator Tim Scott have taken a particular interest in it as well. But it just doesn't have the same amount of energy as it does on the House side. Um, so that's one of the, the key distinctions 
um, you know, that we are finding. But there, but there are a number of other items, smaller items that, you know, may be a difference, um, you know, between the House and Senate versions that ultimately have to get worked out um, through time. There were some specific amendments. Uh, Roger Marshall from Kansas has an amendment in the Senate that it's not in the House side that's related specifically to devices. Senator Hassan has a couple of amendments that's related to contracting with the FDA, and those are specifically on the Senate side. So you do see some nuances um, that are different between the House and Senate version. And so part of the next step is figuring out how many of these actually make it in. But but to your sort of overarching question about timeline that we really start with, that's one of the things that slows this down. We have a looming September 30th cliff, but we have a number of policy proposals from both senators and members of the House that have to get negotiated um, throughout the next few weeks. And we have recess in the middle of it. Okay, so then depending on the version passed, what do you see to be the potential impact on user fees for manufacturers? Yeah, so I mean, one of the things that the user fees really help with is speeding along the new drug approval and device approval process with the FDA. Uh, if you look back to when PDUFA was first passed in the 90s, you know, we had crept up to a 31-month new drug approval process timeline in the FDA that was uh, cut really in half within the first five years of the initial uh, PDUFA before reauthorization, and it has through time gotten faster and faster and faster. Um, and particularly now when we're we're moving so many things through emergency use as well, um, we have fairly fast timelines. So you know, keeping those timelines efficient is a big thing for manufacturers. Another is modernizing the FDA. You know, if you are a drug or device manufacturer and you're on the regulatory side of your business, it's very important to have an FDA that is as up to date with technology as the manufacturers themselves are. Otherwise, you have holding patterns along the way of working with that regulatory body. Um, So that's another. And then I think sort of a a receptivity to new ideas along the way. You know, one of the things we've been pushing is, you know, the inclusion of real world data in um, the the development processes and the approval processes. And, you know, that's the type of thing that requires the the regulators to think a little bit outside of what they've normally done. Uh, and so the, the user fees packages provide the agency with the resources to enable those more innovative practices and behaviors. Okay, so obviously any delays have impacts on public health efforts. Could you explain what the impacts are and specifically how it relates to COVID vaccinations and other emerging public health concerns such as monkeypox? Yeah, no, it's... It, it's a good question because I think a lot of people hear about delays um, and they think this is um, this could create a significant problem. Um, so, you know, to quote uh, Bob Califf, commissioner of the FDA, it would almost be unheard of for Congress not to pass some sort of continuing resolution. And what he means by that is is that we've we've gotten to these points before where we are really at the deadline and the delays are creating an issue, well, Congress can extend their ramp a little bit through what's known as a CR, so they can keep the money flowing 
without negotiating a reauthorization if they have to. So the, you know, some of the potential immediate concerns about, oh, we're, you know, FDA is going to run out of money really shouldn't be there. Uh, and, and there's often this level of brinkmanship that happens. You get to the very end and it looks like the deadline is going to come and go. But then there is a continuing resolution to push the funds a little bit further. So the, the federal government's fiscal year begins on October 1st. But if we get, you know, midway through the first couple of weeks of September and it looks like we're not going to have passage by September 30th, the FDA can take steps to make sure it keeps its core operations going for a while. However, one big caveat I would say is that the first program that would run out of money would be the the testing of drugs and biologics through PADUFA that's funded through the original bill itself. It actually probably only has enough cash to last about six weeks. And so unless there is some sort of reasonable assurance from Congress that they're going to extend or they're going to make the deadline maybe a few days later, um, that starts to get the FDA a little bit bit worried. Another thing that can potentially be a concern is, you know, we talked about how the user fee acts are important to modernizing the agency, uh, but a part of that is also hiring new staff, really, you know, developing a talent pipeline. And so one of the things that can happen is you start to see freezes and new hires at, at the agency. I do think, however, given the history of reauthorization, most of the FDA leadership, and particularly this commissioner, who was commissioner before, has been around for a while, knows how this operates with Congress, recognizes that the agency can really continue as is under the assumption that reauthorization will actually take place. You know, never underestimate Congress's ability to push something to the very last minute, but then get it done. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's just like a student waiting on their homework until the last possible minute before class. They manage to make it happen and turn it in time after time. And so I, I think that's what you'll see here. Um, the last time that Congress actually missed its deadline completely for reauthorization was the first reauth, which was in 1997. Um, so that's been quite a while. And that time they passed the reauthorization in November, right before Thanksgiving. And so th they had, in the meanwhile, passed what's referred to as a continuing resolution that I mentioned earlier, and that allowed the agency to avoid layoffs and things to continue. So all this is to say, I think we can reasonably be assured that FDA has the resources to continue its primary activities for a while and that barring that, there will be some sort of continuing funding to keep the agency going and not have some sort of these doomsday predictions that some people in the press have been mentioning for a while. Well, thank you, Andrew Barnhill, for taking the time to have this conversation with me today. Thank you so much. To learn more about real-world data and the regulatory landscape, Please listen to our other podcasts discussing the FDA's guidance on real-world data use, quality, and benefits. I would also like to thank the sponsor of this podcast, IQVIA, for making this great discussion possible.